Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Faith Church Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Jay Williams, and joining me today is Jeff Clossy. Hey, Jay. How's it going, man? It's going good. Awesome. It's me good, too. It's good to be back for a few days. Yeah, it's good to have you back. Yeah. Yeah. We went on a little tour of the... Lauren called it the Tour de Rust Belt. Oh, that's a good name. Yeah. It's got some... Because we <laughs> you have shirts made. Oh, you should have. <laughs> the Rust... The Rust Tour. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we saw hidden gems like uh, Cleveland and Pittsburgh. and uh, What did you do there? Well, around Cle- we actually didn't go to Cleveland per se. We went to Cedar Point, mm. the amusement park that's known for all the roller coasters. Oh, cool. Um, which, was, which was great and a lot of fun. And then we uh, did Cuyahoga National Park. Um, n- or not Cuyahoga. Was it? Is it Cuyahoga Valley? Yeah, Cuyahoga uh-huh. Valley. It is in, in many ratings listed as the worst national park in the country. And I have to say, I mean, there's got to be worse ones. So we went on a really beautiful hike. Yeah, what's it? Like woods and... Yeah, and waterfall. Like we went out to see this waterfall and they've got a really great um, uh, like marsh area. They have a, they have a, a whole area that's reclaimed. It used to be a big um, junkyard. And they and the Cuyahoga River has been known for being really polluted over the years, and so this river valley they had this giant junkyard and they cleaned it all out, um, just to clean it, just so it'd be woods again. But some dams, uh, some dams, some beavers, um, then dammed up the river and it made this big wetland, and so now it's this like flourishing wetland with otters and turtles and all kinds of things. So. So yeah. that was kind of cool. So letting that. the beavers have their way. Yeah. Yeah. Let them do it. Let them do the work. And then um, Pittsburgh we went to a baseball game. It's a beautiful baseball stadium. It really is. If anybody, to all of our uh, Pittsburgh listeners, uh, you have a very nice baseball stadium. It's very, it's lovely. So we did that. And then we caught a Cubs game on the way back through. And that was really fun. Uh, that was out in Chicago? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. On our way back through, we went through Chicago. Obviously, it's, all roads go through Chicago from here. Pretty basically. much. Unless you're going west. Yeah. But south or east, and you're probably... I mean, we were going to go up through the UP, but it just didn't work out. So That sounds like a fun trip, though. It was. We actually we got along most of the time. It's funny. Here's what's funny about this. I don't, I don't know if this is the way it is for you, but on vacations, every day pretty much has something really great and memorable and something horrible like kids not getting along yelling you know at each other doing something to each other there's always a moment every day at least in our family every day of every vacation there is a moment of why why did we do this let's just go home (laughs) and then there's a moment of this was amazing so glad we did this and what's funny is our kids have such short memories so all they remember on vacation, it's like the opposite of home. On vacation, all they remember are the good things. So they could have just spent their whole, like they could have spent an hour being upset about something, mad at each other, mad that they didn't get to do something, whatever. And two hours later, after they've had some ice cream or whatever, like, oh, it was so great today. We got to have ice cream. We went to this park. And and it was such a good reminder of just just keep swimming. Like yeah. don't don't like ride the roller coaster with all the craziness around you. Yeah, move on to the next thing yep. and enjoy it. Yep. So there you go. But it's good to be back. You were gone too, right? 
yeah i had i was we were at a cabin with some family with the brochets over in uh, Monaco area for a week that was awesome yeah we've been back for a week so i feel like i've been back you know how that is time is a bit of a a funny thing but uh, we had an awesome time fishing swimming biking all the things like is a cabin on the lake yeah it is it was really it was really beautiful so um do you get any ticks uh, no ticks at all. We no. got a tick in Ohio. I heard that. And or was it Indiana? Oh, gosh. No, well, it's Ohio. I can't tell the difference. I'm just kidding. I think it's Ohio. I heard that, and uh, I, one of your children told me that they had one on them, and I said, but you didn't tell your dad you had one on you, did you? Uh, oh, he did. <laughs> and he freaked out, and it fell in the snack bag. Oh. And so then we had to like tear apart the snack bag. <laughs> oh, my. I didn't hear that part. That's yeah. hilarious. Yeah, it was... Uh, I just thought it was funny that we had to travel to a city in Ohio to get a tick. They stay uh, away from me, ticks. They know I'm indifferent, that, and it's just... I think you're... Like, they know uh, you're we're not going to bother him. They know you're indifferent. <laughs> yeah, we know he's not going to... We can't get a rise out of him. <laughs> Let's go to this other dude, that big dude over there. He looks like he'll freak out, oh. and they're right. All right, well, anyway, so you then preached this weekend on Psalm 145, which yeah. is fantastic... Um fantastic sermon so we used to do this a lot we used to ask i mean one of the one of the reasons why we started this podcast way back when uh what was that guy's name that was used to be here something with robbie yeah robbie i think it was robbie okay um we'll go with that he (laughs) we love you when we talked about starting this it was kind of like well let's just because we would just have these conversations in the hallway so for people who've been listening since the beginning you already know this but if you've been listening um keeping up or starting recently, you may not realize that we started it because we used to have these conversations in the hallway, like usually on, um, most of our days off were on Monday. And so on Tuesday morning, we would just be talking about the sermon, like, oh, hey, what did you mean about this? And oh, I like this point. And, and you know, and then, or man, I wish I could have said this. And that's how the podcast started. We just said, well, why don't we just record that? Because people, some people might find that helpful as we kind of are processing through um, the message from the weekend. And and a big point of that, like one of the cornerstone questions that kind of drove it, especially early on, was was there anything that you cut out that you wish you'd had time for? Because the reality is we only have so much time. And, you know, people can make fun of me for that, of like that I don't realize that, but I do. Even I realize, it's all relative, right? But I, um, we realize we only have so much time. And then you were pointing out when we were talking about that this morning that especially in the summer when we have the kids in there with us the whole time it's it's warm um we had a business church business meeting family meeting after the service and so you're you're even more mindful of that but then you choose psalm 145 which is so rich and there's Mm -hmm. so much in there i mean so we could do a series i mean there's several psalms that you could do an entire series on and psalm 145 certainly could handle that so I have to imagine you had alluded to this when we were talking about it earlier, but I have to imagine there were things that you just had to cut out. In fact, you even said in the sermon, you said your first two points were longer and you're like, don't worry, the last two will be shorter. Yes. Um, and, and so I felt for you in that moment. Cause I have definitely, I've definitely done that where that's the danger by the way of laying out like, Hey, I've got three points. Mm-hmm. If point one and you're at the 25 minute mark and you go, all right, and the second point is then people immediately go, ah. Oh. So like, you have to you have to relieve that tension by saying, hey, these aren't <laughs> these aren't all equal equal in um, length. So what did you leave out? Like, what did you have to cut out 
Yeah, I thanks for saying all that too. I it's interesting. I I actually have loved it this summer, getting the opportunity to preach to the kids as well. For me, having them there has been a gift. Just their presence in general, but the gift to me when I'm writing and thinking about the sermon is it does help me to think how could I communicate this to a ten year old? How would I maybe want to define a word or use a different word? Um, to make sure that they're getting it. And that actually has been really helpful for me. And it's helped me to, when I'm kind of going back through my notes beforehand, it really sharpens points, I think. So doesn't, that's yeah, been a Doesn't gift. it make it feel like that's just the way we should always prep a sermon? Yeah, probably, actually. Uh, I mean, there's like, going to be things that sometimes you wouldn't do that way. But yes. It's, it's, it's never a bad thing to think, how do I illustrate this more clearly? Mm-hmm. Because even though we're obviously not always not everyone in our congregation are 10-year-olds, but let's be honest, a lot of times on Sunday morning with the way, like maybe the week that you've had, whatever emotional situation you're in, whatever, how, if you're tired, whatever, like we're not, we're not functioning much higher than, than that, than, than that level anyway, like Mm -hmm. a lot of times. And so it's hard to catch, you know, all the things um, going on. So anyway, yeah, I think that's a really good point. It's a gift. And this, this, like you said, this Psalm, it is just so rich. It's so beautiful. It really does stand on its own. And uh, so, but I can tell you one thing that I would have loved to have more time that I wasn't able to was was a focus on the idea of the promises of God that really they're, they're throughout the entire psalm, but, as, but especially in that last section, which is, I, I kind of gave it the title of God's provision for us, that there are all these promises about God and what he'll do for us that we can we can bank on that we can trust all the time like for example um verse 18 says the Lord is near to all who call on him to all who call on him in truth and that that nearness and the need for God to be with us especially in times of man this is a low point in my day or my week or maybe my life I need him right now he's promising us that and so even yesterday, as I was, you know, usually after I'm preaching a sermon on a specific text, that text has just been in my mind and heart um, going into that. So yesterday was my day off, and I had this thought of just thinking about my own walk with Jesus and wanting it to be more intimate and more connected to him um, more than ever. And I had the thought, what other promise does God need to make to me to help me do that? Like what other statement can he say to me that I can put my faith and trust in that he already hasn't already made? And as I thought that thought, I thought he already has. He's made every promise to me that I need to follow him in the fullness and life and power, all of it that I could possibly want. My role, and, and I think this is again a spirit-dependent activity, is to find those promises in his word and to let them sit in me so that my heart can cling to them. But he already has said everything that needs to be said. He really has. And I think he actually has the ability, we know that, to, um, because of his spirit in us, to impress upon us in very personal and unique ways these promises in our life. So that's a point that I didn't really get to draw out, but it's in this psalm. So, and I love that, and you're right. And I love the statement that God, there's no promise that, God could make that he hasn't made. I mean, there's nothing that we need that God hasn't already promised to provide. And, and, um, but then the question comes up that, 
and and you alluded to this a little bit, but I think one of the big issues we have with the promises of God is that we just we don't know them or we don't understand them or that we bought into um, false versions of them that don't exist. So I've mentioned many times how often when I'm talking with people who have either lost their faith or were brought up in the church but are not following Jesus and have kind of discarded it or have turned from God in some way, it typically is around a sense that God failed to fulfill his promise. Yes, God let me down. God let me down. And that that sometimes happens because... Um, it's a, it's a perception issue, obviously, always, because God always fulfills his promises. Sometimes it's a timing thing that God is fulfilling something, but it's a big picture in the long run fulfilling, but in the moment it may not feel like it. You know, kind of like if my kid is hungry, you know, or you think about a baby who's crying because they're hungry, they're, they don't see the, the promise of being fed being fulfilled until they're actually like eating. So the bottle is in their mouth and they actually, until that moment, but, but the parent is preparing a bottle. They are, they've already purchased, you know, whatever they, you know, they're nursing or whatever they're happening. They're, they're already in preparation and ready to do that. And they are in the process of fulfilling that promise to take care of the child, even though the child doesn't, doesn't start counting that as being, you know, fulfilled until they're actually, you know, eating. And I think similarly, we have those situations where we think God hasn't fulfilled this promise for me, um, and and yet what what the reality is is that He is fulfilling it. It is just it's a process or it's a it's a timeline um, that's happening, and and you're you're kind of bailing before He's actually bringing everything to fruition. Um, so that's one that I think, um, and then another one is just bad like bad exegesis or just misquoting of scripture. And so we attribute promises. We talk about how a lot of times people get mad at God for not doing something that he never said he would do. You know, or we get mad at God for not actually not contributing to our destruction. So we talk about that with idols sometimes. So when, yes. So people will get mad at God for not, um, strengthening their idols. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, well, why would God do that? Because that idol is carrying your heart away from him. Why would he bless and strengthen that idol that is carrying you away from him? Mm-hmm. And so then they'll look at that and see that's an unmet, um, you know, unmet expectation or unfulfilled um, promise. And then, of course, they're the ones that are just, you know, God helps those who help themselves kind of things that aren't biblical and so like well i put in all this work where was god you know why didn't i was chasing my own dreams chasing my own thing i was working really hard and then this fell apart um you know or you know someone got sick and died and like god god promises you know that if we have faith you know then like there's there are these things that get twisted or god won't give you anything more than you can handle and so you know but he definitely gave me more than i could handle and not realizing that's not it's not what the passage says. It's not, it's just a, so I'm just curious, like, what do you say in those situations? Like, how do you, when you say God's promises, um, that there's nothing that we need or could ever want that God hasn't already promised. He's not lacking in any of the promises. So how do you go about it? Making sure that we are understanding what he's promising 
so that we're not putting false expectations, so we're not putting our heart in a position of being um, disappointed in some way because our picture of what we think it's going to look like to for God to fulfill that promise isn't being fulfilled. How do we how do we guard ourselves and others? Um, because I just think so many trite sayings like "let go, let God," yeah. "God's in control." I mean, there are ways in which if somebody understands what you're meaning and and they there's a way there is a very let go and let God. There's a way in which that is very true, and I've heard people express that in a way that is very fitting. But then it becomes a very trite saying that then people just take, and now that we don't have any idea where that might be in Scripture or what what it's even implying, it ends up being just kind of a generic, like, well, just, you know, don't worry about anything, and it'll it'll magically just kind of happen, you know. So anyway, that was a really long intro and some thoughts in that, but I'm curious, how do you, how do you help people for themselves and also as they help others who are, questioning God's faithfulness and fulfilling his promises. Well, I, I think part of what you illustrated in some of those ways that we misunderstand already for us, and I think you, you walk through some of those, but I also think, you know, as, as someone, so if you're doing this, I'm assuming that you're, you're a disciple of Jesus, meaning that you have given him your allegiance. You have said, he is, he is my, yeah, my savior, my Lord, my master, my teacher. I am the novice. He is the master. And part of that will be the assumption that I ought to doubt myself before I doubt him. So if I start to wonder, is he faithful? It seems like he's not. I think our first impulse needs to be, again, assuming that we are in, right? Um, This is probably, is different if you're a skeptic, but if you're in, you assume that that your understanding is incomplete or that you might have a different angle or like you described Jay that like the mom preparing the the food you know the meal for the baby um, warming up the something whatever that God is working and that we just might not know it now that doesn't mean that that's an easy experience I'm not saying no. that that's a smooth sailing thing but but I would also just say we need to doubt ourselves first and I alluded to it briefly in the sermon as well, that we often think we know what is good for us, but we do not know that. And oftentimes, when we believe God isn't fulfilling a promise for us, it includes an underlying assumption like, well, God said he would provide for me. And it's vague, for one thing. Um, and I really need this thing to be okay. And just list the thing. And we're assuming that that thing is going to be, whatever it is that he's withholding, allegedly, from us, is really good for us. But again, this is where we need to doubt ourselves and to think, well, maybe that wouldn't be good. Maybe God has a different perspective on what would be good for me than that thing. And so he's actually not just being passive. He's actually very actively not allowing us to have that thing because that would destroy us. So that's a bit of the process. But I would say when it comes to like the the trite sayings, you know, the generalizations, those are dangerous because they're not scripture verses or they're just like a snippet of a verse. So I would say one way we guard against that is to actually memorize and internalize the very words of scripture and especially in narrative form. So um, another place you could go in in the scriptures to look at some of this is I was just reading in John 14 this morning and Jesus talks about obeying him and loving him, um, being one and the same. Okay. And so if you have some of these, this bigger context in your mind about what he's doing in the world and about what it looks like to follow him and his intention for your life, 
the promises will come alive. And we also have to engage each other. You know, so if, if I'm doubting one of God's promises, that's when I need um, a brother or sister in my life that I can say, can you give me, can you help me understand this? Can you give me some perspective, breathe some air into this for me of how I might be missing what God's intention is with this promise? So that's just a couple ideas. I don't know. What else came to your mind as I was kind of rambling on there? <laughs> I, rambling's relative, right? <laughs> when I look at the time code, I'm thinking, man, I talked for that long, and then you are you feel like you rambled. And it's like, oh, that's 14 seconds. Um, <laughs> but, man, a couple of things in there that jump out. One is, I just think of how countercultural it is to say, doubt yourself first. Mm-hmm. That's, a, like, that's a major thing. So we... One of the dangers, obviously, is when we have meshed, one of the dangers of living in a culture that has had so much influence from Christianity is we can start to confuse and mesh things that are actually of the world because they kind of have a little bit of a Christian tint to it. And so, but clearly, the message in the secular world is not doubt yourself. No, the message in the secular world is you're the source of the you're the only reliable source of truth for for you, and and so what a what an incredible reframing to say if I either am in a situation where I am doubting that God is fulfilling my promises or for His promises to me, or I'm doubting something I see in Scripture that why is why is my assumption that like that I must be right and the creator of the universe must be wrong. And I, I feel like I, I mean, I've had these conversations with my kids before where I'm kind of looking at them going, why is your assumption that you, that you understand fully what's going on and that I must be the one that's off my rocker, even though I'm like 30 years older than you and actually have some experience in this. Um, you know, and sometimes Sometimes we realize that it's it's our interpretation of something that was actually the pro- the problem. Sometimes it's our heart that we don't want to believe the thing that is actually there. Like we hear it sometimes in the Sermon on the Mount. It's we talked about that that it's intellectually not that hard to grasp, but at a heart level, it's really hard to receive. So there's sometimes like that. Sometimes it's just hard passages that are just hard to to wrestle through and and promises and understanding scope and everything. So that's a really big one of just starting with you know. Yeah, doubt, doubt yourself first, and um, and that's not a, you know, the world would hear that and would say like, oh, that's you know, that becomes a controlling thing because you're telling someone not to, not to listen to their, you know, listen to their heart or listen to what the voice in their head. My big thing is listen to the right voice. You know, learn. That's one of the big things that I think along with. So so I 100% agree. I love what you said about. Scripture and, you know, like chapter and verse, memorize scripture, know what it says. There have been many times where I have, um, you know, called to mind passages that I've memorized and in, in the application of it, in the saying it out loud, I realized that my mind was actually twisting it. Have you ever done that? Where you're like, you realize, oh, he, he actually said this, you know, I think about Psalm 23 even though I pass through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear for he is with me. That idea that it's passing through the valley of the shadow of death. I remember when that hit me of realizing I'm not passing through death. He passed through death. I'm passing through the valley of the shadow of death. 
death looms around me, but is that's not actually the path, the road that I go through because he's already gone through that, you know, for me. And it's just like knowing those kinds of things and just and being able to memorize it allows the Holy Spirit to continue to teach us as we as we quote that. So that is a huge um, a huge thing. And then I and I think then listening to the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. learning to discern His voice, it is such a critical thing that we. You know, there's been so much fear of that in the church of like, oh, then people are going to think like, oh, God told me to do this thing. And like, God's never going to contradict his word. And, but also just dealing with people who, um, so many people who struggle to just hear God's voice, they don't even know what that looks like. They just think it's their own internal dialogue and they're lumping everything into their own internal dialogue. Like they're lumping the enemy in there, they're lumping the Holy Spirit, and they're lumping themselves in there, and no discernment that these are different voices. And learning like that the Holy Spirit, for example, is um, is never going to be shaming. That voice is never going to be um, out of control or rushed, or you know any of these different things that like a lot of times we give into. So I think that's a that's another thing is just being in the Word, so we can learn to discern his voice and so that we know what he sounds like. I think that's so much about being in the word is, is you learn how God speaks to you and you learn what does it sound like? You know, what does he sound like? He's given us all of these words so that we would internalize that. It'd be like, you know, we've used this analogy before people have of if I, if I read like every note, every text, every letter, I mean, if someone tried to send me a text posing as my wife it probably wouldn't take very long for me to know how authentic that was yes because i know how she texts i know what it sounds like i know what she says i know um and and there's just so much where i i hear people say well you know god promises this and then they'll say something that i'm like that doesn't even sound like him i don't even know where you would that doesn't sound like scripture that doesn't sound like that just does not sound like him at all and um that's a, a the only way that you can discern that is to just be in the word um consistently all the time yeah i agree and I, I, just one more addition to that too like you know the the idea that to doubt yourself is to somehow um like demean yourself or like not trust yourself and we're not saying that like there is an internal compass that's really important to pay attention to. That's different. But what I would say in in response to someone who really is like more of a skeptical critic of that thought is it's interesting. In, in another part of the sermon, I was talking about our neediness as human beings and how we know that unless things come from outside of us into us, we're doomed. Like oxygen and food and water and companionship and shelter, all these things. We need them to come in out. Why would we think that then in other areas of our life, we have everything that we could possibly need already inside of us? Like when all the physical world we observe says otherwise, why would we somehow make this shift? But yeah, but in this area, it, with spirituality or with um, eternal truths, I have no need of input. I, I just find that would be very odd and inconsistent that we could in the physical realm so easily observe how needy we are and then come to this other area of our lives and think, no, but I'm self-sufficient here. Um, that has just not been my experience as a human being and the way I read 
uh, my own thought life and my own internal dialogues. Um, I need help. Think I need about, help coming in. Right. And I love how you said that, like, I'm the novice, he's the master. Yes. So I think one thing that could be helpful is for people who are listening to this, think of an area that you are a master in. Think of an area that you have a lot of experience in, a lot of, you know, maybe it's your job, maybe it's a, you know, something you've been doing your whole life. And imagine if someone who is a novice, you know, asked for your advice on something and you tell them and they're like, meh, I don't think that's right. I mean, when we turn it around, we realize like, well, that's foolish. What would you say about that novice who says, you know, to the master plumber, no, nah, I think I'm going to fix the pipe this way. Like, I think, I think this will work. Maybe on your house, not my house. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you, you would say that person is foolish. Yeah. You know, you would, you would look at them and say, you know, someone who's not a structural engineer saying, nah, I'm pretty sure this will hold. You would say that's foolishness. And, and yet we somehow think when we're trying to figure out how does the world work, that I am going to have a better answer than the one who created it all. And to your point, yeah, if you're a skeptic and you don't believe that he's real, well, then I understand. Like now you're just saying, well, relatively, I get it. Like a secular humanist is basically just saying, well, relatively speaking, because I'm not dealing with any other omniscient beings. Well, yeah, if there is no other, um, if there's no omniscient being who created you, who knows you, who designed you, who planned like your days, well, then, yeah, I mean, you are the best authority for yourself because who else is going to be? But if you are a follower of Jesus, if you believe that God exists, you believe that he created you, you believe that Jesus lived and died and was resurrected, then we are always going to be the novice. He is, he's the master. I, I love that. Um, hey, one other thing before we like wrap up, because I just, I, I, I don't want to skip past this. You had such a phenomenal illustration and you are you're really you're gifted with um teaching illustrations um and you you nailed one where you're talking about um reframing the question of hey how how is church you're talking about the greatness of god and you're saying you know what if like normally normally we we all do that if someone says on sunday afternoon hey how is church we talk about our experience of it. Like, did I like the music? Did mm-hmm. it move me? Did I find the sermon, you know, engaging? Did I, um, how did my kids behave? Or who did I see maybe? Even even some things like that of, oh, like I saw so-and-so and talked to them. is great. But you are encouraging us to reframe that as, what if we thought about when we asked the question of how was church, what if we thought about it from God's perspective? Was he, was he blessed? Was he honored? Was he worshiped? Was he delighting in the praises of his people? Which totally changes everything. Because now all of a sudden, that worship song that maybe I don't like or is not my style or whatever, now, but the question is, was the congregation singing? Did, did the, the people who are leading worship, were they leading the congregation and praising God? Were we singing lyrics that were true? So now all of a sudden, I'm not... It's not about like, oh, I really like the drum beat and that song or whatever. But no, we were singing these songs that were about the promises of God or extolling God's greatness. And um, and so I loved all that. And then you alluded to, like, what if we applied that lens? 
So we were able, you took us there really well on, on Sunday morning and saying, okay, what if when you're asked how is church, you thought of it from God's perspective, but then you kind of alluded to like, what if that was the lens that you saw your whole life, that you evaluated your whole life? And so I just pictured, I pictured getting home from work, you know, somebody getting home from work. And when you're asked, how was work? Think about all the questions you're asked that start with how was, how was your day? How was work? How was the game? How did practice go? How was fishing? How was like all of those things? And what would it look like if instead of starting with what was my experience of that thing, I started with what was God's experience of that thing? How was he, how, how, how was he viewed? How was he honored? How was he, um, and that would radically change things. Mm-hmm. So can you, I mean, do you have more, like you could talk, like well, something specifically, like it, in the specifics of, okay, well, what would that look like? I mean, to me, part, part of where that thought comes from is, is the idea that, and again, trying to, Christoph did this two weeks ago, and I wanted to again reemphasize it, that worship is all of life, right? So worship doesn't start and end with a worship service, right? Or a Sunday morning, or even what we would consider those religious activities that are very obvious, prayer, Bible reading, Though those are acts of worship, I think, done rightly, right? But um, it's more than that. We are worshiping beings all the time. And so I use the example of Sunday morning because I think that one's the easiest to assume, yeah, that's worship, and we we kind of evaluate that often primarily on our experience of it. And there's actually nothing wrong with that being part of it, right? I think that's fine. It's not wrong. It's just really at some point we should realize that the weightiness of our experience versus the weightiness of did this bless God, they're not the same, right? Like the the importance of did this bless God, did he enjoy it, was it loving to him? So if it's loving to God, that means it's what's good for God. Did I do what was good for God in that moment? And it is amazing to start to think about, okay, my work day today, and then take take the moments of your work day, you know, like a meeting that you're about to head into, and start to evaluate it through that lens of how how would I bless God in this? It's it's um I mean to say massive perspective change. That's the only phrase I could come up with on Sunday. But it it is like radically different existence. And I think if I'm understanding Psalm one forty five and then Jesus's teachings about human life correctly, that's actually what he intends and where he's taking us. So that the things that we end up delighting in and rejoicing in and living for are the things that bring God glory and joy and delight and satisfaction. And as we're changed, it's not that it's not that we won't be enjoying that. We actually will become more and more the kind of people for whom that is our greatest joy, which to me I mean, that's what human freedom ends up being. That's what that's the definition of freedom right there. Not constrained by anything else. And I it just fills me with so much hope and anticipation and desire to grow in him. I mean, it's part of where my thought yesterday of like, what promise does he need to make to me that he hasn't already made? Like, what else do I need from him? Um, because I want that to be all of my life. I mean, I think of it too. So this summer, you, you probably know I've been coaching soccer, involved in a lot of soccer. Think about how different youth sports would be 
for us who follow Jesus, if as we're playing and coaching and interacting with officials and parents, the primary lens we're thinking through is how would this bless God? How, what is he doing? It just shifts your perspective to something much more eternal and weighty than a win or a loss or a bad call or a good call. I mean, it is just massively different. So there's a few thoughts, Jay. I guess you could really like play this out, you know, at length. Well, I mean, and I, yeah, you can and we need to because you said the word that I'd written down, which mm. was it's freeing. Mm-hmm. Like this is freedom. So imagine going to work and not measuring your day based on what you produced or whether your boss was pleased with you or whether some coworker understood you or misunderstood you or some customer got upset with you and you don't, you're not measuring it by any of those worldly means. You're measuring it by what is the facial expression on my father? Is he delighted in how I am honoring him in the midst of all this, in the midst of this hard meeting? Like, think about a relationship, like if you're a hard family relationship. There have been so many of those over the last couple of years. Like, it's been such a divisive time in our country, and I've dealt with a lot of people, talked to a lot of people who have broken relationships in their family. And just think about if you are, if you're going to meet with somebody or you're going to talk to somebody, you're, you're going to spend the holiday with them, and there's this brokenness that you're not measuring it based on whether everything gets resolved or whether, you know, whether anything other than am I being faithful to God in this? Am I worshiping God in how I am responding to this? Am I delighting in my identity in him? Am I rejoicing in who he says I am and what he's doing? Am I willingly seeing myself as the novice and and Jesus as the master as I repay um, evil with good? All these different things well, that's so freeing because that, for lack of a better term, like that is under our control in a sense. You know, like nothing's in our control, right? But but results are never in our control. But the, the faithfulness um, and trusting him in that moment is something that I can in the power of the Spirit do and I can see it and, and it's so freeing. And I think this is what it means when Jesus says, you know, this is part of what it means when he says, my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Nobody would say repaying evil with good from a worldly point is easy. The way in which it's easy is that that's all Jesus asks. He doesn't ask you to fix people. He doesn't ask you to change yourself. He doesn't ask you to produce, you know, things that are out of your control. He asks for faithfulness in the in the small things and in the the little minute by minute stuff. So I think it is incredibly freeing and it was so convicting to me to just think did I do that? I mean, I coached a baseball tournament this weekend. And when I was asked how did the tournament go, is my first thought was God honored in the way that I interacted with the kids and with the other coaches and with the umpires or is my first thought does it go to wins and losses and, you know, and often because it's entertaining, the frustrations, you know, that Mm -hmm. come with, you know, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And again, like to your point, that doesn't mean 
you know, the, the answer is not like I shouldn't say to somebody who says, Hey, how'd the tournament go? And I say, well, I think God was greatly pleased with how I handled the umpires. Okay. But did you win? Winning doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. What matters is that God was extolled in his greatness. Like we're not talking about being, it's not <laughs> living in denial or, no, or being weird in that way. Like you can also say, yeah. And we, we won a couple of games that were really fun. And, you know, we had a, a couple of hard games and, you know, like if you, how was fishing? Well, the Lord was greatly honored in the way that I fished. Like, but that is the lens that we should be. And that should be our first thought of just sitting there and thinking. And then everything else gets put into that perspective. And then by all means, tell somebody that you caught a lot of fish. By all means, on Sunday morning, talk about how the sermon impacted you or how the worship stirred your heart, you know, or how communion, like what it, how it impacted you. Yes, amen, a million times. Do all those things. But there's something really powerful and freeing that happens when we start with how, what is God's perspective on this? Because that's actually, and one of the big things that it does is it just sets, it sets the tone. Because all of a sudden, let's say in a service, and we try to do this on Sunday morning, we evaluate Sunday mornings, right? We evaluate everything down to like little logistical things. But what we always want to start with was, is, was the name of Jesus lifted high? Was God glorified? Was he honored? That's where we want to start. And when you start there and you're saying, yes, yes, yes. Well, then if I botched something in the announcements or in the sermon, or I said something I didn't like that is put in its proper perspective. Exactly. As, Hey, yeah, next time we would like to handle this differently, but in the scope of was God honored, like, it just it just puts it in totally different perspective as something that sure we can develop, but it isn't like a make or break thing. If that that makes sense, it does. I mean, it, it basically what we're saying is it subordinates all of our desires mm-hmm. to his, mm-hmm. and and that, the reason that's freeing is that ends up being that when we do that, we get to live in reality as it actually is. So even if we decide I'm not going to subordinate my desires to his, they already are. He gets his way. So like we're not fighting against this thing that we're never going to win. He made us to live under his rule and reign and goodness and grace. And when we do that, increasingly it results in freedom and joy and life does not mean pain-free. It does not mean no suffering. It means all of those things and unbelievable joy with him as we go through them. It's such a different life. I love that. And that's the life that we want to live that gets passed, as the psalm says, from one generation to the next. Just thinking as so many of us are looking at the the, the next generation and you know, whether mm-hmm. it's our kids or grandkids, um, or nieces or nephews, and realizing, man, the the most powerful testimony we can give to everyone is to demonstrate a life that that is lived in this way, that is worshiping God in every moment that is oriented around the idea of what is glorifying to God. Um, and, and then that gets, we, we commend God's greatness, you know, from one generation to the next. So, um, and, and we want to do that for one another. We obviously need to do that in community. That's why it's such a big deal to us that people are connected in community. So if, if you are not, uh, if you don't have people to walk this road with, um, please let us know. We need to help you find um, people that will know you and can help you in this and can continue to point you to Jesus and that you can you can encourage and equip along the way as we are disciples making disciples making disciples. So 
Um, hopefully this has been helpful in that. As always, you can reach out to us at faith or at connect at faithpeshtigo.com or on a Sunday morning. And um, again, thank you for taking the time to listen. We hope it's been helpful. Until next time, grace and peace. Thank you.